Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening service of Wednesday the 20th of February 2013, entitled Impact Your World. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Here's Pastor Stuart Harvey. And before I do introduce the family, I want, I'd like to say um, it's a pleasure and a privilege to finally be here as brother larry said for a couple of years now we've we've crossed paths but not with each other but with others who know each other and i've looked at this church and i know this area as well uh, uh, very well many of you will detect uh, the birmingham accent my wife and i were raised brought up born birmingham uh, stayed here all of our adult life the girls were born here before we moved down to devon the you know, I grew up, I was born at um, uh, Scott Armsway, Great Bar, moved to Sutton, then to Erdington, and only the last 13, 14 years I worked for the prison service, I was at Winston Green Prison, went down to, to Devon, and we've, uh, we've been spending the rest of the time since then in God's country, which is definitely the county of Devon. Um, but I'll say it's Birmingham tonight, amen, just for the sake of peace. But it is a great pleasure to be here, and I want to thank your pastor and his wife, Jane. We've been made such gracious... Uh, guests really and uh, we've been recipients of such graceful hospitality and I know as a pastor and uh, and your wife you you host people in your homes very often for a meal or sometimes when they stay like brother Lou will be and if it's people that you don't know for sure you haven't met personally but you know I mean you just toss that coin in the air and you don't know who's coming through and uh, after tonight he's putting the coin away and never inviting us again but uh, it's been great and uh, particularly for um, for Jane you know it's always the work preparing the meals we've had a wonderful meal we've had a wonderful time of fellowship and it's it's been a blessing to us already and uh, and you know I hope I can give something back of that this evening but the reason um, I bring the family is because they are such a blessing to me and I hope they're a blessing to you I always find it doesn't matter whether I preach a good message it's not or not it's irrelevant so long as the girls will sing well and my wife will smile and be nice people will go you know he wasn't so good but they can come again and we enjoyed the singing so I'd just like to introduce my, my family to you. If you just stand for a minute, obviously this is, this is who they are. This is my wife, Dawn, my eldest daughter, Jenna, and my youngest daughter, Eleanor, and my middle daughter, Carissa. All right, if you sit down, guys, please. Brother Larry was saying he didn't want to try the names. Sometimes I get the names wrong. You know what it's like if you're a parent, you know, Jenna, Eleanor, Carissa, whichever one of you is, stop doing that. You know how that goes. You can forget the names. But um, the girls um, did sort of not get my singing voice praise god i am tone deaf um but i'd love to ask our three young ladies or my three daughters if they would come and sing i think they're going to sing be still my soul tonight and that is a favorite favorite hymn of mine and they worked out these harmonies themselves and i'm very very thankful to see brother lou gadano is from out in in the states there now we're very good friends and i'm so thankful to know him but you know it's people like him um, who've, who've, his father was so faithful to raise up a church and Brother Larry and, and raise up a generation that stuck with godly music and it's been an encouragement to, to my girls to try and listen and learn and, and give that on to others. They, you know, they're not formal musicians in any way but they've received so much input from so many different people and uh, it's a blessing in my home when I can get them to sing for me love to come to special meetings they won't sing for me at home <laughs> and i love their singing i love music but music doesn't love me so jenna christian eleanor if you'd come and sing for us please if you would be still my soul the lord is on thy side 
girls well i'm biased but i'm always blessed by the singing but i hope that was a, a blessing to you this evening and uh you know being sisters apparently that helps them to get harmony together so musical people tell me appreciate that and i really appreciate that my wife um she can sing but she doesn't sing uh with the girls in the same way but uh, uh we're very thankful for that now brother larry I, I i know exactly what you're saying about when you surrender your pulpit over and i want to do everything i can to honor that trust that you have. And the first thing I want to do to honor that, what time does the meeting run till, brother? Oh, oh, those famous last words. He's not heard me preach before. Amen. All right. Well, tonight what I thought we would do, you know, a Wednesday evening in the middle of the week, in some senses you're preaching to the choir, aren't you? Because you are the faithful. You are here. And I want to do whatever I can to honor that. It's the middle of the week. And the middle of the week in Birmingham, I'm sure, is the middle of the week, the same as it is in Exeter, Devon. You know, you've got work, you've got college, you've got commitments. It's the middle of the week. You're tired and you think, no, we need to go. We've got to go. And, uh, you know, but when you get there, you're always glad you went, aren't you? Amen. And I hope to, to keep that with, with you again tonight. I hope that'll be the same feeling. And I'll, uh, I'll honor your time this evening, God willing. Uh, and hopefully we will base that around the word of God, of course, which is that beautiful sword that we have to to help us, to guide us, to lead us, to conform us, and to change us. I do want to go with the thought, of course, of impacting your world. I know this is going to go on to the conference for the young adults through tomorrow and Friday and Saturday, but I think we all have the responsibility, the requirement to impact our world, the world around us. And I think it's, it is sad, as the brother prayed here earlier this evening, that you know, if you take all the Christians, it doesn't matter the flavor and the stripe, I'm not talking about that, but every Christian there is in the United kingdom today, if they would rise up and take a stand for Jesus Christ, I'm sure we could still impact our world here in Great Britain today and the world over. I think it could be done. I think we have to share some of the blame in some senses corporately together as Christians for why we see what we see today. Because I don't think God's changed. Uh, I don't think the power of the Lord has changed. And we know, of course, as uh, evermore we see the day approaches, even men or seducers will wax worse and worse. But listen, I am not, and I hope you're not too, of that mentality. Well, that's it. Bolt the doors. Sit in the church. The rapture's coming. Hunker down. What can we do? We can't take any ground. We can't impact the world anymore. Hope somebody comes through the door and can join our little club, one or two more, evermore as we see the day approaching. I hope that's not just spirit tonight. I don't believe that it is by any stretch of the imagination. I think I see a faithful people here before me this evening, and I believe from what I've heard, that's who you are. So I want to talk about impacting your world. And if you would, please, open your Bible, please. The verse is up there first. Corinthians chapter 11. 
and verse 1, because I want to really look at the power of example this evening. I think we all need examples, but it's very easy in some respects to impact your world, isn't it? I mean, you've only got to look at the horse meat situation to realise it's pretty easy to impact your world, is it not? I heard an article on the radio coming up today. I just got it and I was listening to the news and somebody who'd obviously missed out on all the publicity, there was a lady who'd eaten one of the horse meat burgers from out of her freezer and she ended up seriously, seriously ill and she was taken to hospital and I was really quite concerned because she was from down in the southwest in our region, but I'm pleased to say they announced that after eating the horse meat burger that she was in a stable condition. So I'm, I'm pleased to hear that and I'm relieved about it. Uh, but enough of that. You see what I'm saying? It's easy to impact the world in a negative way, isn't it? You know, there was a meteor, wasn't there? Did you see the reports of that meteor that hit Russia uh, last week? Did you hear about that? Yeah? I mean, that's an impact, amen. You can impact the world. The whole world knows about that in a negative way very easily. But we're talking about impacting the world in a positive way, in a positive way for Jesus Christ, impacting our world today. Now, what are we talking about when we say the world, impacting the world? We're not talking about impacting the fields, the seas and the mountains, are we? We're not talking about the physical world and the created world in that sense. I mean, there are people that do try and impact the trees and everything else, and, uh, and we'll leave that to those who love the earth worship, but we love the worship of our God, amen? We should be good stewards of this earth, but we don't worship the world in its physical sense. We don't want to worship what God has cursed. Let's be honest, he cursed the earth, uh, but thank God, he's relieved us from that curse through Jesus Christ. When we talk about the world, what we're talking about is a worldwide community of people, about 7 billion, I think we topped the 7 billion figure, wasn't it, at the back end of that last year, we usually talk about that kind of figure in missions conferences when we're talking about missions, but what we're talking about when we talk about the world is a community of people that are distinctly different and separate from the Christians in the world. That's the world that we want to impact, isn't it? Those who are outside the kingdom of God, those who are without the Lord Jesus Christ, without the hope that we have in the world. That is the world that we want to impact. That's what we mean. Now let's bring that back a little bit further because the thought for this conference is impact your world. Now your world and my world are not 7 billion anonymous peoples in communities around the world. Your world and my world are the people for whom we have influence. And I don't mean powerful influence, I mean the people whose lives we have the ability to influence. Your families who are unsaved, my family who are unsaved, your neighbours who are unsaved, my neighbours, your workmates, your colleagues, your fellow students... These are the people that we're talking about when we're talking about the world. They have faces in our world. Every one of us right now could pull up an image in our mind of a person we're probably praying about. Uh, you know, the person who we're so desperate would get saved. That might be your wife, your husband, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your son, or your daughter. That's the world that we're talking about. It's not a faceless world. It has a face. Now, let me say this. If we want to impact the world... If you want to impact your world around you in the realm whereby you have influence and contact, something must have happened first. And that is, if we want to impact the world for Christ, then Jesus Christ must have impacted our world first. Amen. We need to know him as our personal saviour. We need to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to know him and know who he is and know exactly the power that we have within us and through us and how God can use us to impact the world. We need to know that. We need to have been saved. Now, I believe I'm 
talking to Christians in here this evening in the main. I think you usually find you are when we're talking about a conference. But it behoves me to make sure that everybody understands that we're saved in here tonight. That we understand what sin is. That we understand about sin in our life. That we understand there was a, a point in time where we were convicted of our sin and we knew there was no way out. We were going to be separated from God for all eternity if we didn't put our trust and faith in a perfect, sinless, spotless Savior the Lord Jesus Christ and he impacted our world by grace through faith and we were saved in that tonight and that's the only way we're ever going to be able to impact the world for Jesus Christ as if we're saved let me say this to you tonight if you're not saved in here tonight and you you may feel I'm not sure you 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 are you're one drink away from being an alcoholic you're one smoke away from being a crack addict you're one click away from being a pornography addict you're one good work away from believing your good works can send you to, to heaven. You're one rejection of Christ away from being condemned to hell for all eternity if you don't put your faith and trust in him, if you don't let him impact your world. So let's have no doubt about what we're talking about tonight. When we're talking about impacting the world, we're talking about impacting the world for Jesus Christ to see lost sinners saved, for us to become agents of spreading, preparing the ground and seeding with the gospel. We're not looking at a social change. We're not looking at a social movement. We're not looking at 40 days of purpose. We're looking at a lifelong commitment to impact the world that is around each and every one of us, the people who you can influence in your world who we may never meet, the people who I can influence in my world who you may also never meet. But we need an example. We need a pattern to follow. Everybody will be influenced by somebody. And we live in a world today where so much of the culture of the world impacts our environment, even as Christians. So, so much of what we see, so much of the visual intake through our eyes and into our heart and into our realm of influence, it comes by the media and the things we see around us. We can't help but be influenced by celebrities and sports stars and realms of interest unless we completely isolate. And we've got to be so, so careful if we don't recognize that those who have not been saved by the Lord yet are being extremely influenced by the culture that is in this world today. And we need to recognize that as a fact. Now, as a believer, and I hope uh, you are a believer in here tonight, you will pattern your life on someone or something. Now, many will say, of course, now, I, I don't know how many are here tonight. This is your, your home church, and if it is, then I know you've got a faithful pastor and his wife. I know they're a great example to follow. I know that you have good encouragement. But listen, as Brother Larry said earlier, and I would admit the same, we're always going to let somebody down. And the problem is when we let people down, whether it's by, by design or by accident, is people can then be influenced if that's the example that they want to follow. So we need to ensure that as believers in our life, we have a pattern to follow that is a pattern of excellence. Titus 2 talks about the older believers Teaching the younger believers, doesn't matter whether it's men or whether it's women, the older impacting the younger. But again, that is an imperfect example. You know, I found after I got saved, and I'm sure you found the same, you would align yourself to a, a local church, God willing, and, uh, and, and you'd go in there, and you maybe talk to some believers who have been saved 20 and 30 years. And that's great if they're a good example to follow. 
But if the believer that's giving you some encouragement, some counseling, you find that this person's been saved 20 or 30 years, they've never been on outreach, they've never knocked on a door, they've never given out a tract, they've never been to more than one service a week, they only read the Bible once a week when they blow the dust off. And I hope that's not you in there tonight, but let me say this to you, that's probably not a great example to follow. I was speaking at a men's ministry meeting on Saturday and I challenged myself with this question and I challenged the men. And I think in essence, it's probably a question we all need to ask ourselves. If you and I are the model of Christianity and each one of us are to pattern ourselves as Christians, if we are the pattern and our pattern is replicated, what will that Christianity look like? That's a question that we need to answer for ourselves honestly because if we're going to impact our world, then we need to be replicating something. We need to be patterning ourselves on something and we need to hope that the people who receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour will pattern their life on something and we need to know what that is. Because you know what? There are some people, and I hate to say this, and I hope this isn't the case, there are some people who have come to Jesus Christ, there are some people in local churches, and they're not faithful. Now I say I'm talking to the choir, it's Wednesday night and you're here, praise God. Because this is the faithful people, but you all will know this, there are some people that are not faithful to the church, there are some people... Some people who are not faithful to their walk in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we have a problem because, you know, if, if you are younger in years and you pattern yourself on that and say, well, you know, not now. Now's not the time to impact my world. Now's not the right time. I'm studying for exams. Now's not the right time. I've just got a new job. Now's not the right time. I've just got married. Now's not the right time. I've just got a young child. Then, then when is the right time? There never is a right time with the Lord. The Lord sets a pattern for us and he expects us to follow. And I find generally, although God can use anyone and he can stir the embers up with anyone, it's very hard when you've entrenched yourself already into a pattern of not being faithful. Now, I don't mean to insult any. I don't know what your Christian life is in here tonight. And I certainly don't mean to insult anybody. And if anybody here tonight says, I'm so insulted by that, I'm going to go and win the world to Christ just because he's insulted me. Then I'll say, Amen, send me a letter, I'll apologise and pray for you and praise the Lord because you've turned the world upside down if I insulted you. That, that isn't my meaning at all. But I want to say this tonight, when is the right age to impact our world? I mean, I think, you know, as we, as we talk through the conference to perhaps the younger people, what is it, 16 to 30, I think is the, the age group that you're looking at, 16 to 30. You know, that is the right age. That is the right age. You know why? Because young people are radical, not cynical. Well, by the time we reach our age or my age or older or whatever age you are tonight, when you've been around the mill of life, particularly if you're probably saved a little later on, I wasn't saved till I was 39 years old, you're a bit cynical. I spent 20 years working in the criminal justice sector. You're a bit cynical. But you know what I found? There are even Christians that are a bit cynical. Tracked in, we tried that. 30 years, didn't work. Street preaching. Oh my good Lord, you must be kidding. That went out with the ark. That'll never work. Do you understand what I'm saying? We've maybe tried a few things and maybe we've not had the results that we would like to have and we're forgetting that God said, do it anyway. You plant, you water and I'll give the increase, God said, didn't he, when Paul spoke to the Corinthians. But we get a little cynical as we get older. And so young people are radical. Praise God, we're going to take the mountain, we're going to storm the place, no one's going to stop me. We could get out in prayer, we could do this, we could do that. Uh, have you thought about this, Mr. Smith? Well, Johnny, we tried that 20 years ago. 
And that didn't work. Do you know how damaging that is? Because God is stirring up young people. And when young people, I get really excited when younger people get stirred up for the Lord Jesus Christ and want to do something. And you know what I find? I get encouraged because I'm one of those cynical people. Man, we've been trying this for the last five years. We've done. Do you know the definition of insanity, by the way, the world's definition of insanity? To keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. Isn't that what Christianity is? Because God says, keep doing it. Do it this way. Do it this way. Don't reinvent the wheel. Don't come up with something new. Just keep doing exactly the same things that I've asked you to do all the way since the start of the church age. So we keep doing the same things and we do expect a different result. God, maybe this week. God, maybe this week. So in essence, the world would determine us to be insane anyway. But let's not let that insanity infect those who want to pattern themselves, those who want to be an encouragement. Those of you who have ever studied any of the histories of revivals will see the impact of young people, young men and young women who set themselves inside in, uh, in prayer. The, the Welsh revival, of course, is a great example of that. And I know we're not talking about revival tonight, but what I'm saying tonight is let's make sure we're never so cynical that we prevent those who want to be radical. I don't mean radical to change the Bible. I mean radical enough to believe God said what he means and means what he says and he's willing to do it even today in 2013 in Birmingham, God will still give souls if we want to impact our world. That's what I'm talking about here this evening. Oh, it doesn't matter what the age is. See, the danger, doctrine is a great thing, and I know that you're well-studied people here. But the danger of many doctrines can be, can be that they damage, in some respects, our Christian activity. Doctrine, if it doesn't lead to action, is a waste of time. It's the knowledge that puffeth up, Paul says. You know, we stick it all up here. Everything goes from there. Excuse me, I forget I've got a microphone on tonight. And, and, it, and it leads us to, you know, we just constantly get around with other Christians, comparing and comparing, comparing notes on different doctrines. And what's the worst thing we do with doctrine is we, we, the worst thing we can do is find someone we agree with. Isn't it? You ever done that? When you agree with someone on doctrine? Oh, oh, well, if we're in agreement on this level, let's take it down another level. Oh, we're on agreement in that level. And we never stop, do we? And we take it all the way down to if you don't wear pink spotted socks at 10 o'clock on a Sunday, well, we're not the same as them. Amen. That's the problem sometimes. We, We use doctrine as a means to alienate everybody else. Now, we need good doctrine. But if we don't use it to apply to our Christian walk, it's a problem. So the danger of some of our things are, of course, thank God. I'm, I, now, I didn't check, Brother Larry, but as far as I know, because we know the same people, I am in a Bible-believing church here tonight who love the Word of God. I am in a dispensational, premillennial, Bible-believing, born-again, blood-bought, Baptist church here tonight. So I hope I'm not going to say anything that is going to offend anybody, but I'm going to take some things as given, and you're not post-millennialists. Right? What a terrible doctrine that is. How are you going to impact your world if you? Well, we got all the time in the world. We'll bring it. You know, we'll wait. We'll bring in the kingdom. Jesus will come back when we've done it. How about we leave it to the next generation? What a damnable, damnable doctrine that is. If you believe that. Well, Lord bless you. Go and see your pastor. He'll put you right and so will the word of God. But you know what? But sometimes we're just as bad as premillennialists, right? We believe the Lord is coming again for his people, amen, and we're going to be caught up to ever be with our Lord in the air. And I believe the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is imminent. I believe he could come tonight before I even finish this introduction. Amen. And definitely amen. 
Right? That's the truth of the Bible doctrine. That's what Paul taught all the way along. He condemned the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians, didn't he? He's like, you're sitting around. They had a good belief. They thought the Lord was coming again. So they sat back on their jacksie and said, we're not going to do anything because Christ is coming again. I wonder if some of us have drifted into that vine tonight. You know, the Lord is coming. It must be the end times. Everybody's a student of prophecy today. Everybody's watching the news, judging the Bible by the news. Look what they're doing in Israel. Look what's happening. Must be imminent, must be today. Yeah, it could be. But what did the Lord Jesus Christ say? He said, occupy till I come. We've got to get busy if we're going to impact our world about doing something for the Lord. Now, you see, young people get radical. But we find that Paul spoke to Timothy on this. He said, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou what? An example to the believer. I love people from 16 to 30. I'd love to be that age again. Amen. But you know what I love about it is just because they say, you open something in the Bible, it's like they've never seen it before. And that's what they say. Look at this. We could do this. And what we've got to make sure is, if we want to impact our world as well as encourage young, radical Christians to impact their world, it's not say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen that before. Look, that just doesn't work. We've got to say, I'm praying for you. I'm amazed you've seen that. I'm encouraged you've seen that. I'm going to get on my knees and pray. What do you need? What can I do? I, I can't come. I can't come up that mountain with you, but I can pray for you. Let me encourage you. And that's what we need to do to impact our world. It's not only what we do ourselves. Let's think about the impact we have on other Christians when the Lord starts to touch their life and show them something and give an encouragement. What am I saying? Let me finish this introduction by saying this. We need an example. We need a pattern to follow. Because the problem is we're lazy, we're wicked, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? If we run everything through our own mindset and we look at other human examples, we'll fall, we'll fail, we'll find something to criticize it. We need an example and a pattern to follow. And those of you out there tonight going, yeah, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not even going to use the Lord tonight. Do you know why? Because some people use that as a cop-out. Well, he was God. I couldn't possibly do that. Because even though he came down to earth and he, and he left his glory, he never left his deity. And the Lord Jesus Christ did say, follow me, didn't he? The followers said, so pick, pick up your cross, deny yourselves and follow him. But do you understand, I've even come across Christians who go, oh, well, that's just too much because that was the Lord Jesus and he was God. We couldn't possibly do that. I'm not sure I have a conviction that I could do that. So I'm actually going to look for a human pattern. I'm looking for a human example to follow that I believe is the closest and best example we can follow of anyone in the flesh. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you have your Bibles open tonight, and verse 1. One simple verse says it all for me about impacting your world. And this was from the inspired pen of the Apostle Paul. And it says, chapter 11, verse 1, the Word of God says, Be ye followers of me even as I also am of Christ. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. The wonderful words of the Apostle Paul. Let's go to the Lord in prayer just a moment. Father, oh, our good and gracious God, we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. We thank you, Father, that you are a gracious God, an almighty God, a holy God. We thank you, Father, for your patience toward us. We thank you for the love that you shower upon us. We thank you for your grace which you give to us, Father, that favour that we don't deserve. We thank you for your mercy, God, all that you withhold from us that we do deserve. Father, we thank you for your Bible. We thank you, Father, that we have a pattern. We thank you, Father, that we have all truth before us. 
And Father, I pray, God, tonight, Lord, as we start into this conference, we can just take a broad look at what it is to impact our world, each and every one of us. Lord, if you've saved us tonight, you've also set us out on a commission. You've given us a work to do and a will to follow, Father, and that would be your will. Help each and every one of us tonight by your spirit, Lord, to be guided, to be illuminated. Father, I pray stirred for the things of thee tonight. Father, I pray that at the start of this conference, this will just be a small match that will set us aflame, Lord, through your other preachers, Lord, and through your spirit and through uh, each and every one of us if we'll go and look into your word for ourselves tonight and say, God, what do you have for me? What would you have me to do? What would you have me to be? How can I impact the world around me? Father, we're going to trust you for your goodness. Stir us, set us aflame, Father, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The problem is, you see, is position and practice. Every Christian has a position in Jesus Christ. Every Christian positionally is made righteous through the righteousness of Jesus Christ before God. So it it doesn't matter where you come from tonight. It wouldn't matter tonight if you walked in off the street with an injecting needle up your arm. It didn't matter if you're a prostitute coming in from your latest trick. It wouldn't matter if you're walking in stone blind drunk and somebody shared the gospel with you and you genuinely, truly believed it and repented of your sin and trusted in Christ, then where you come and that place at that time, it doesn't matter what you've just done, where you've just been, how you've just lived, positionally from that moment right then, you are right with God because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Positionally, you become a Christian. Amen. Now, most of us, the moment we're saved, don't die and go home. And to this point, God hasn't raptured us. Now, what we then need is an example of a Christian who's not only positionally a Christian, but then has a practice as a Christian. And in the Apostle Paul, we see a great, if not one of the finest examples, even though he referred to himself as the chiefest of sinners and the least of all saints, the great model, the great pattern of what it is to be a New Testament Christian. Now, let me say to you, even many people say to me, well, he was an apostle, he was one of the apostles, we can't all do what he did. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says, be ye followers of me, even as I am also of Christ. God says, follow Paul as he follows Christ. You go into the New Testament, he says, follow Christ. But as we come into the, into the church age, the age of grace, the age of uh, the epistles to the church, then very specifically here, we see him say, follow Paul. Paul's a great pattern as he follows Christ. In Paul's humanity, he was a great pattern of the Christian life. Do you know why? Because Paul impacted his world. Paul impacted the world around him. It didn't matter whether he was in Asia Minor. It didn't matter whether he was in Europe. It didn't matter whether he was popping back into Jerusalem. You cannot say anything other than the fact Paul impacted his world. When Paul had been there, people knew he had been there. Usually the sign, they'd try and stone him, beat him, whip him, sling him out of town, kill him. But some got saved and churches were started. And the world was impacted by the Apostle Paul. And I don't believe there's any reason today why any single one of us here tonight, I really don't. I won't limit the power of God. I won't limit the word of God. I don't believe that anybody sat in here tonight couldn't do twice as much as what Paul's already done. Oh, I don't mean with all the signs of the apostle and all that. We know those things have ceased. But what I'm saying, there isn't any reason whatsoever why God couldn't say, if you'll let me use you, I'll use you and I'll make Paul look like a backslider. Amen. 
Oh, we don't believe it, do we? We don't believe it. Well, we couldn't possibly do what Paul had done. Why not? Why not? Well, God said, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Yes, true. But he said, occupy till I come. And if we just give our lives over to him in the way that Paul did, then who knows what God may do with somebody who said, I'll follow, I'll follow Paul. I'll follow Paul as he followed Christ. God, what will you do with my lifetime? It doesn't matter whether you're 18 or 85. If you're 85, what have you got to lose? Amen. I hope I get that far. Praise the Lord. But what have you got to lose? Here's a great example. But let me say this. Many Christians are Christians by position alone, and their example can oftentimes be negative. And I, I just a small personal testimony of this. My, my wife was saved eight years before me. My wife was actually saved when we were up here in Birmingham. Then we moved to Devon. So we got into the, the stage where, you know, I'd let her take the kids to, to church on a Sunday. I used to work every other weekend with the prison service so they could go while I was at work. And if it was in the winter, they could go and I could stay at home, drink my pot of coffee, read the Sunday Times, let the kids come home. Hopefully they had a bit of moral input. Then I could tell them what a bunch of junk it was and got to add some science to that and philosophy and all the other stuff. And that's how it would go. But within that, you see, within the church that she used to go to, it was a very liberal church. Very And within that, there were a bunch of men from that church who I used to go to the pub with on a Friday night. And these men were Christians, as far as I knew. And they may be, I don't know, that's not the point I'm trying to make here. Positionally, they told me they were Christians. By practice, they did exactly what I did. We went to the pub on a Friday night. We got drunk. I'm sorry to say this from the pulpit, but I like a touch of reality. I wasn't saved. Let me say this. This was before I was saved. Amen. And then these guys would come up to me sometimes in the pub on a Friday night and say, we're having a men's breakfast at church on a Saturday morning. Why don't you come and learn about the Lord Jesus? So uh, as I stood there with my pint and they stood there with theirs and I looked at him and they looked at me and I thought, I'm the same as you, you're the same as me. Why on earth would I want to come and get up at 8 o'clock in the morning to some stinking breakfast when I'm probably going to be recovering from a hangover? What can I see in your life that's any different to me? Do you understand? Because that's how you measure it, isn't it? Do you know how people measure? Do you know the unsaved world measured Jesus Christ by us, by Christians? So I took a glance, thought, no, that's fine, buddy. We're all right. We're on a par. If you're going to heaven, I'm going to heaven too. Positionally, maybe they were Christians, but by practice, I couldn't see it. Well, thankfully, to cut a long story very short, 22nd of December 2003, God got a hold of my heart, convicted me of my sin. I knew the gospel, and I prayed out to him that the Lord would save me. Okay, and I got saved. And then I wasn't going to the pub on a Friday night. That's not what the sermon's about, is it, really? But what I'm saying is, positionally, I got saved as well. But what I did, you see, the pastor said to me, he said, you want to start reading this book? And as I read this book, I thought, I'm seeing a mismatch between their position and their practice, and, man, there's some things wrong in my life, and I need to start putting them right. Do you know why? Because I went into work after I got saved, and I worked in the prison. And you imagine what things are like in a prison. It's a pretty soft environment. We have flowers everywhere and drapes and swags and tails. You know, and all the men that I work with, my colleagues, my peers, they were fairly, uh, 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 fairly gentle men. Fairly, you know, they'd like to listen to various points of view and sip it over, over a cup of coffee and say, well, if that's good for you, that's good for you and all the rest of it. Man, no way. You what? 
Do you know what they did? I mean, none of them got saved. Do you know what they, do you know what they did from that day forward? Do you know what they're still doing today? Watching me. Watching me. And they can see some changes. Amen. I've shared the gospel with all of them. That's fine. But they're still watching me. Now, are they watching me for evidence? No. Are they watching me for proof? No. They're watching to see me mess up and say, <laughs> knew it was coming. Well, praise God, nine years later, they are still waiting. And with God's grace, they'll still be waiting until the day they do or don't get saved. What I'm saying is position is not enough to impact our world. Practice the book, the Bible, the changed Christian life. And Paul is the pattern that we need to follow. Now, I'm going to move on ahead because of the time tonight. Let me say this. Let's see what is so important about Paul as being our pattern. This is just one verse here tonight. We need to go to a few. All right, but Paul is... Is our pattern. You want to impact your world around you for Jesus Christ. You want people to be saved, and I want people to be saved. Then we've got to pattern ourselves on the Apostle Paul to see why is that so important. Why was Paul such a good pattern? First of all, let me say this. Now I'm going to say this. I'm going to preach negatively tonight. I don't mean I'm going to be really down. I mean there's going to be some do nots as well as the do's. Because you know why? Predominantly, this is a pretty negative book, if I'm honest in that sense. There's a lot of thou shalt nots in the book. It's not a series of keeping rules, but Paul showed by some of the things that he didn't do, the pattern to follow, as much as the things that he did do. And the first thing that Paul was not, he was not a friend of the world. The Apostle Paul was not a friend of the world. Now, bear with me. I know where you're going. I'm going to come back in a little while. Just bear with me on this one, would you? And what I mean by this, first of all, he didn't envy sinners. He didn't have a jealousy for sinners. He didn't have a desire for the old life. He didn't look over the fence. He didn't look over the hedge like Asaph did in the Psalms and say, do you know, I'm really missing some of the things that I'm seeing in their life. Paul didn't have, after he was saved, a worldly spirit. Paul didn't have worldly... I mean, Paul's was an amazing salvation. Wasn't it? No. No more amazing than yours and mine. Okay? All salvation is amazing. Let's get out of that thought from right now. Oh, I know we live in a day and age today where every charismatic wants to have a testimony roadshow and everybody parading across the stage showing you all the tattoos and glorifying sin for about 45 minutes and everybody's there going, well, I wish I'd had a, wish I'd had a salvation like that. I mean, I, I just got saved. Or even worse, I was just raised in a Christian home and, you know, came to know the Lord as my saviour. Everybody's salvation is amazing. It's a wonderful gift of God. Don't sell yourself short tonight when you think or read one of these biographies or whatever it is and go, oh man, their salvation was amazing. So was yours. And if you can't point a backdrop of of 45 minutes of sin and glorifying sin and all, then praise God because you're not carrying those scars into your saved life. But Paul had his world turned upside down, literally, didn't he? On the road to Damascus when he was going to breathe out threatenings and slaughter upon the church. And he didn't envy sinners. He didn't, what I mean is, he didn't love their world their way. He'd been a part of that and he came out of that. But I see today, because of, because, and I see this in my own life, and perhaps I'm just preaching to myself here tonight, there's a tendency today for us as Christians to somehow envy sinners because the world isn't in this, or the world, the UK, Birmingham, isn't embracing Christianity and Christians in the way that it used to. 
Islam is on the rise. I know where this church is. I know what's not far down that road to the Allen Rock Road. I know it's not far to a, to a place I don't even recognize anymore. And that can make us a little bit envious. Why are these things on the rise? Why are they gaining ground? Why does everybody seem to love every religion except Christianity? The world hated me. It'll hate you, Jesus said. Listen, they haven't put us on a cross yet. They haven't crucified us yet. Start getting concerned when the people around you take out a hammer and nails and start putting some wood together in the shape of a cross and looking at you. That's the time to be concerned. Let's not envy sinners. Let's make sure we keep in our hearts a sorrow, a godly sorrow for those who seem to be getting everything that we would want. They're living in a nice house. They've got a good job. They've got a good car. I'm following the Lord. I'm being faithful. Why haven't I got those things? Now, to some degree, that's in all of us. But we have to recognize it. Paul didn't envy sinners. Paul was as successful as they could come, wasn't he, in the nation Israel? Hebrew of the Hebrews, Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was being groomed for the top of the tree. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. I mean, he was the wide-eyed, blue-eyed boy. He was going places. And God got a hold of him, turned it upside down. The only place he was going then was over the wall in a basket, trying to avoid the stones. He didn't look back and say, you know, I wish I was still one of those top theologians. I wish I was still groomed for the theocracy of Israel. Paul didn't envy sinners. He wouldn't be governed by the world's expectations. We must not allow ourselves to be governed by the world's maxims, the world's expectations. By that, I don't mean we're to be civilly disobedient. That's not what I'm saying. We're to, we're to, we're to uh, come into subjection to rulers and authority as far as it doesn't go against the word of God. But let's not get into the position where we're envying people or looking and glancing at those who seem to be doing quite well for themselves as, as, as lost sinners. Eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Have joy. David said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And sometimes we need to look at that. Sometimes it's good to revisit the place of your salvation physically and spiritually. Sometimes when it gets don't be envious of the world. Go back to the place where you were saved. Go back in your mind. Go back physically if you can. If it was in a church, wherever it was, I know where mine was, and I sometimes go back there and say, yes, Lord, thank you. I know things might not be working out exactly how I would like them to work out. I want to tell you the Riverside Baptist Church in Exeter isn't the fastest growing work in the southwest. It falls down quicker than I can build it up. And I mean physically, we had a wall fall down. Amen. But that's just the way it is. But sometimes you go, yeah, but thanks, Lord. I don't have an envy. I don't have an envy for this, for that, and for the other. And that's what Paul didn't have. His eyes were not distracted by those of the world. Paul was not a friend of the world. Turn to Colossians, please, in your Bible. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. Paul was not influenced by the people or the problems, or the processes of the world. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, look what he wrote. He wasn't a friend of the world because he wrote this. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of, wor of the world, and not after Christ. He said, beware lest anybody spoil you. We can get spoiled. And do you notice he says philosophy there? Be very careful, particularly young people. Some of you may be studying philosophy. A lot of people do it at A level today. Be very, 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 very careful. Philosophy 
is the wisdom of this world. And it is very alluring. It is very enticing. It seems to set itself apart on this big pillar compared to the simple and plain talking world of, word of God. And philosophy, the study of, has been the graveyard of many a young Christian who went to university to impact their world and the world impacted them through the study of philosophy. Paul says it quite clearly here. Be very, very careful if you're a studier of philosophy. But what Paul is saying generally is give yourself over to Christ. Give yourself over to the word of God. May that be your mainstay. Don't envy the intellectual elite. Those of you who are studying, listen, some of you, uh, particularly if you're younger people and you're in a college, you may be fearful of even identifying yourself as a Christian today. Because one of your lecturers, college professors, PhDs, press here dummies or whatever it is, may ridicule you and it is easy to ridicule a Christian. You believe, what? I mean, let's think about it. Is there any more ridiculous faith in notion than the Christian faith? Your God walked as a what? Man. And let himself be nailed to a what? Cross. Bled died and that blood that precious blood his blood the blood that came out from him redeemed you from your what sins what kind of a word is that don't you think haven't you got a brain can't you think for yourself now that may never have happened to you but i had a phone call just last week after i'd put some tracks out from a person who told me that what do you mean the bible are you incapable of thinking for yourself Now, this is the way the world is looking at Christianity today. We're trying to impact the world, but listen. Listen, the world will impact you if you're not careful and you're not separated to the Word of God because the intellectualism sounds wonderful, but you've got to boil it down to brass facts. There's no answer at the end of it. The Word of God has the answer. Paul says, don't envy sinners. Don't be a lover of philosophy. And you know what philosophy is? It's a lover of wisdom. That's what it means. That's what philosophy means. Those of you who like to study the Greek, a lover of wisdom. Paul was there. He went for all the Athenians and strangers in Acts 17 were there, spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. If you want to impact your world today, don't envy sinners. Don't be bowed by the worldly philosophy. Don't always be trying to hear some new thing. Listen, everybody in Christianity today is trying to come up with some new thing. God says, keep on doing the things that I've shown you before. Don't reinvent it. Don't change it. Impact your world by doing what I have given you to do. How many of us think we can have a better idea than God because something seems to work and have worldly success? Don't envy sinners. Where is the wise, where is the scribe, where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? We want to impact this world. We're not going to do it with wisdom. Let me just take a sideline here for a moment because so many Christians, and I was guilty of it myself when I first got saved, are trying to come up with the answers for everybody's argument outside of the Word of God. We're trying to read books up the yin-yang about creation, philosophy, church history, and all those things are great. But, you know, we're trying to give people the answer to salvation because of how much moon dust is on the moon. We're trying to give people the answer to salvation because of the second law of thermodynamics and entropy. And we're trying to get all the facts, the figures. I'm no scientist, you may be. But the word of God says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And that's all you need to know. You don't have to prove it. God's knowledge is assumed. You want to impact your world, come back to that which has power, the word of God. Don't try and prove Christianity. Do all that you can do. This will start topics and subjects and conversations. But never do that at the expense of the word 
of God. Paul did not envy sinners. See, Paul was not a friend of the world. Secondly, let me move on quickly. We're running out of time. Paul didn't have friendships that destroyed his personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we all have ideals of how we're going to be able to have some relational evangelism, and it's good. We want to be friendly people. But I'm going to say to you tonight, don't have friendships that will destroy your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't impact someone once you've been polluted, and it doesn't take much to pollute something. If Brother Larry said, there's a glass of water on the pulpit for you there, Brother Stuart. Uh, It's lovely water, don't worry about it. It's only got just a couple of drops of arsenic in it. Then I can guarantee you, I would not be drinking that glass of water. Don't have personal relationships that can damage your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We all want to reach out to the world. The problem is there's been a big movement over the last 30, 40 years, particularly in music in Christianity, and they call it crossover music. Yeah, when I was not long saved, I mean, I used to love my music, and I got something, it was a CD, it was called Holy Hip Hop. If ever there was an oxymoron, there it is, holy hip-hop. And he went, Mr. Caruso, why do you write? I write something, gotta be glorified. No, he wasn't. I just felt like a gangster, you know, and I want to play this to all the youngsters who, you know, got their baseball caps round like this and their backsides hanging out there. That drives me mad. That's the prison officer in me that just won't go away. When I can see more of somebody's underpants and their backside than I can of their jeans, boy, that makes me really annoyed. I just want to go over and yank those things right up. But, you know, I thought, okay, we can cross over. All these boys, you know, we can play this holy hip-hop. You know, we can be cool, cool Christianity and all the rest of it. You know, we can get some relationships going and then you turn into this kind of thing. You know, I can be cool. I can be, I don't even know what the terms are today. I don't really care, to be honest. You know, it does destroy your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because the problem is with crossover music is they forgot to take the crossover. And instead of the church going into the world, the world comes into the church. You can't impact your world for Jesus Christ if you're so like the world and I'm so like the world that somebody, when they're down, when they're needy, when they're convicted of their sin, they won't turn to you, all right? If we look just like them, sound just like them and smell just like them, why do they think they can get something from us? Paul didn't have friendships that destroyed. Turn to Proverbs 30, chapter 20. Back into the Old Testament, Proverbs 30, chapter 13. Sorry, Proverbs 13 and verse 20. Don't have friendship that destroy your personal relationships with Jesus Christ. Proverbs 13, 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be what? Wise. Walk with wise men and women. Walk with wise boys and girls. Walk with those who are wiser than you. But look at the second part of that verse. But a companion of fools shall be what? Destroyed. If our companionship and our relationship is with the unwise and with the fool, we're the ones that will be destroyed. Oh, we can't lose our salvation, but we can lose our testimony and the hope for an unsaved world. Evil communications corrupt good manners, Paul said to the Corinthians. We're the ones that will be corrupted. Paul was not a friend of the world, but let me say this. He did show himself friendly. Back to our text tonight, 1 Corinthians 11. Just look at the end of chapter 10, if you would. Paul showed himself friendly, but he wasn't a friend of the world. And this is the balance we have to find if we want to impact our world. We're to show ourselves friendly, but not to be the friends of the world. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 32. Give none offence, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. 
Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be what? Saved. Saved. We've got to show ourselves friendly. We've got to show ourselves approachable, but not the same. We need to be as Christians to impact our world distinctly different. A people of the book, I like to call it. A people of the power of the Spirit upon us. Not a people who've decided to surrender our Christianness to be like the world. That we're not going to have beer and curry evangelism nights. I'm sure you get that nonsense up here. I'm not going to go into that tonight and all the street pastors and handing out flip-flops to drunk people at 2 o'clock in the morning and all the rest of it. Listen, those people are out there in the day. Give them a tract when they're going to Tesco's. All right? You don't need to be around at 2 o'clock in the morning with all these kind of people. But show yourself friendly. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, was he not the friend of publicans and sinners? We need to be the friend of publicans and sinners. We need to show ourselves friendly, but we don't need to be a friend of the world and its maxims so that it impacts us to the point where we are more like the world. Christ was that friend, but he didn't fall into their ways. He was a friend that stood off and called them to him. And it's important that you understand. Do you understand Christians don't fall into sin? You ever, oh yeah, so and so, I mean, they were going on so well for the Lord and then they fell into sin. You and I do not fall into sin. We slide into sin. That's why it's called backsliding. You know, do you know how sin gets a hold of you? This is how sin gets a hold of you. If this chair's sin, well, that wasn't so bad, was it? I touched it and it didn't touch me. But then the second time you come up, you touch it and it touches you. That's what sin does. But that still wasn't so bad. But then the third time you go up and you touch sin, that feels nice. It caresses you. But you can still let go. And it feels good. The pleasures of sin for a season, doesn't it? And then you come again and you touch it again. And it will not let you go. You don't fall into sin. You slide into sin. Be careful of any relationships that you have and friendships that you have that will destroy your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're always in the company of sinners who are sinning and you're trying to be there to be the influence, well, I'll go along to the nightclub. I'll go along to the social club. I'll go along to the Pope. I'll be the example. I'll be the one who stands for Christ. Then before long, they'll have stood on you. Do you know, look, the Apostle Paul, and this is who we're talking about, our pattern and example, what did he do one day? He said, Barnabas, you're not bringing John Mark. You've got to beware of Christians who can bring you down. If you want to impact your world, Paul said, John Mark couldn't cut the mustard last time, Barnabas, and they ended up having a dispute. Praise God, they were in Christ, and it all came together good again later on. It's not just the world we've got to be careful. If you're hanging around with Christians who are embarrassed when you witness... You know, I mean, you go out for a meal or a coffee or something and you get up and you say uh, to the waiter or the waitress, hey, do you know my friend? And they say, no, who's that? And you say, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Christian is with you. going, oh, I can't believe they've said that. Then be careful because you might start to feel embarrassed about trying to impact your world. You may sometimes need to withdraw from some Christian relationships that start to bring you down. Paul was not a friend of the world. Secondly, Paul was not afraid of the world. I'm going to move on fast. We're running out of time. Paul was not afraid of the world. Nothing 
bothered the Apostle Paul. Do you know fear is the greatest inhibitor for us, isn't it? Why didn't you witness today to that person that you should have witnessed to? You know the one I'm talking about. I know the one I'm talking about. Why didn't I witness today to that person I should have witnessed to? Fear. Oh, you can mask it up how you like, but something in us, even though we're all capable of doing it, stops us doing it. Paul did not have a fear of the world. He wasn't a friend of the world, and therefore he didn't have a fear of the world. He showed himself friendly, but he never showed himself afraid. Look at Paul in Acts chapter 20 and verse 26, where he's speaking to the Ephesian elders, where he's about to leave them. And he talks about all the things that he went through that you find listed in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And he got, you know, whipped, striped 195 times. And he was stoned and the countrymen lay in wait for him. He was in fear or he had to fear for his own life as they lay in wait for him. He was in shipwreck three times and in Acts 20, 26 he said, but none of these things, none of these things moved me. There was no fear in Paul. Now let me just qualify that and say you'd be a fool if you don't have fear. Okay, there's a right fear to have and the first one is the right fear of God. Because the fear of God casts out all other fears. If we didn't have fear, we'd die, wouldn't we? Oh, look at this cliff. I could throw myself off this. You've got to have fear to stop yourself dying, but not a fear to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the kind of thing that Paul didn't have. He was not afraid of the world. The fear of man bringeth a snare, Proverbs 29, 25 says, doesn't it? Snare gets you around the neck. We get so, so afraid of the world. We can't act. We can't impact. You know, it's like that snare's got your tongue sometimes, isn't it? Where you've got that divine opportunity to witness for Christ, to impact the lady in the queue in front of you in Tesco's, to impact the waitress who just served you or the waitress who just served you, to impact your mother yet again, that divine opportunity. And God, that snare just gets you and cuts off your air supply and you can't witness and you can't impact your world. But Paul was not like that. Paul was not paralysed by fear. And neither should we be. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, we won't turn there for the sake of time. For God did not give us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's the power we have to witness, to impact the world. We saw that in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. God gave us the spirit to be able to witness, to be a witness and to witness. Don't be afraid of the world. Paul wasn't paralyzed by fear. Paul pressed on regardless of what people thought. You and I need to press on regardless of what people think. It doesn't matter what's behind you. It doesn't matter what's there today. What matters is we look at where we're going for Jesus Christ if we want to impact this world. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. Anybody done anything stupid in the past? Or is it just me? Anybody ever done anything that people like to remind you of, saved or unsaved? Not just me. Anybody believe you're likely to do it again? Oh, it's just me. <laughs> right? Right? We're going to do some stupid things, especially if we really are trying to impact our world for Christ. We're going to do some daft things. But Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind. He said, forget it. Don't be paralyzed by your past. Don't be paralyzed by the present. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Press toward the mark. Keep pressing on. Keep plowing on. Don't be paralyzed by fear. Don't be paralyzed by what people think about you. John 15, chapter 15 and verse 19 says, If you're of the world, the world would love his own. But we already know we're not of the world. We're not going to be the friends of the world. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. 
Paul was not paralyzed by fear. Paul pressed on regardless of what people thought and Paul proved who he was. Folks, if you're going to impact your world and I'm going to impact my world for Jesus Christ, we need to focus on the mission, not on man. If we've got our eyes on man, we will be paralyzed by fear. We will be afraid of the world. If we want to impact our world for Christ, focus on the mission. Set yourself some simple goals. How many tracks can I stick in a Sainsbury's shopping basket today? They're simple things. How many tracks can I stick in a petrol pump? You don't even have to speak to anybody to impact your world. Do you know that? God says go out and scatter the seed. Just scatter it. Get it out there. I don't know about you, Brother Larry, but I have a lot of tracks that almost go moldy in my church sometimes. You know, we, we just throw those things out there and we ought to be doing it left, right and center. Paul proved whose he was. He was a man on a mission for the Lord Jesus Christ. The evidences. If you go in First John, you see the necessary evidences of salvation. We need to see them in us. We all know the fruit of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit is. We have lots of things that are apparent in us that prove we're Christians, but we've got to be on a mission. For do I now persuade men? Or God, Paul said in Galatians 1.10. You want to persuade men, that's a problem. But you want to persuade God, you're on a mission, then you can do that easily enough. Or do I seek to please man? For if I yet please man, I should not be the servant of God. To impact your world, we've got to be the servant of God. Paul was not a friend of the world. Paul was not afraid of the world. And let me finish with this. Paul was not, thirdly, Paul was not formed by the world. In Romans 12, 2, he said, Be ye, for you're not conformed to this world, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul's mission, Paul's life, Paul's pattern, Paul's example to impact the world as a believer was because he was not formed by the world once he was a Christian. He was formed by the word of God, the power of God and his mission for God in Jesus Christ. Paul had a fine mind and Paul's fine mind had been renewed by the word of God. Paul had all of his Old Testament. He knew it all. Nobody could have known more than him. But God took him aside and gave him that revelation, didn't he? God unveiled the mystery to him of the church, which was a mystery hidden before the foundation of the world. Paul's mind was given a revelation, and within it that became formed by God, not by the world. His perspective on everything was not formed by the news, was not formed by the media, was not formed by other people's opinions. Paul had not only a fine mind, the reason he had a fine mind, because Paul had a final authority. This is a question I ask Christians all the time today. Do you have a final authority? Because I know who used to be my final authority, and that was me. And we bring that into our Christian life. I don't know how long you've been saved if you're in here tonight, but you know what I brought to my Christian life? My opinions, my thoughts, my pride, my ego. But Paul had a final authority, which was God's word. And we need a final authority. Did anybody bring a book with them tonight? Hold it up if you brought a book with you tonight. Praise God, I'm glad I said that and you did. I thought, I could, I thought I'd be safe on that in this church, amen. Could anybody tell me, you know, say, what, 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 what have you got in your hand? What have I got in my hand? It's not a trick question. What is it? The Word of God? The Bible? Can I tell you what you've got in your hand tonight if you've just held it up? Hopefully, 
What you've got in your hand is your Bible, your final authority. And when you open it up, it should have little highlights and little notes down the side. And it's your Bible. It's the Word of God to you. This is, this is my Bible. This is the Word of God. To, this isn't your Bible. This is my Bible. This is my final authority. You've got a great pastor. And you should listen to him. And some of you are probably very, very intelligent. I've certainly to, spoken to some people tonight who are very, very intelligent. But unless you make this your final authority, you'll be formed by the world. Because you know what? The things that I would like to think, the things that I would like to believe, the uh, uh, opinions that I would like to follow, when I put them through the filter of my final authority, says no, 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 and no. So what are you saying? I'm saying if you want to impact your world, you can't be formed by the world. You have to be formed by your final authority, the Word of God, the Bible. And whilst I'm not on that subject tonight, I'm going to say to you tonight, that is the King James Bible, the Word of God. That's for a different day. But let me tell you this. I believe this is God's Word to me in English. I don't believe I can improve upon it. I don't believe I can tell God any better thoughts. I just take what he says. And if I don't agree with it, I say, God, I'm stupid and I'm wrong and you're right and I'd better change my opinion, otherwise I'm being formed by the world. You've got to have, you want to impact your word. Let me bring this together as a close tonight. One, you can't be a friend of the world. Two, you can't be afraid of the world. Three, you can't be formed by the world. You need a final authority. Can I give you some terminology to get rid of that will help you if you want to impact the world for Christ? I think. Get that out of your vocabulary. I hope you do think. But if you want to impact the world for Christ, can I say this as nicely as possible? Nobody cares what you think. And here's another one. I feel. Some terminology to get rid of. I think and I feel. Here's some terminology to gain. The Bible says. God says. Those two words alone will do more to impact the world around you for Jesus Christ than anything else. The Bible says, God says, the Bible says, God says. What do you think about abortion? The Bible says, God says. What do you think about homosexual marriage? The Bible says, God says. What do you think about uh, any kind of God that's all right for you, be all right for me? The Bible says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Those are the words of Jesus. The Bible says, God says, we need to become like repetitious monkeys. Do you know why? To train ourselves. Because when we start saying, I think, I feel, that doesn't impact the world around because they're saying, well, I think and I feel this. But do you know when you always, do you know when you get the final word? When you say the Bible says. God says. It usually finishes an argument. Finishes me when I'm arguing with myself anyway. I don't know if that works for you. Let me say this. Impact your world for Christ. Thank you for listening tonight. I know I've gone a little over and I'll come to a quick close. We've got to get back to the simples. Heaven high, hell hot. That doesn't change, folks. I know we've got science. I know we've got Christian science. But God's word says the same. If you're a sinner and if you haven't come to Jesus Christ, then heaven is too high for you. Your good works won't get you there. I know you're my neighbor. I know you're my son, father, mother, sister, brother. I love you. But heaven's too high for you and hell is hot. And last for all eternity. We don't hear enough of this stuff anymore. He said people won't accept it. I know they won't accept it. 
If I had my way, I'd change the doctrine of eternal punishment. Believe you me, I don't like it. But God put it in the book. And we need to go to a lost and dying world and impact them by saying there's only two roads, a broad way and a narrow way. Will you, this is the crux of it, and will I impact my world around me positively for Jesus Christ? Will I be prepared to pattern my life on the Apostle Paul? Will I be prepared to put my position into practice? my attention to application. Will I be prepared to do it? Will I do it in the power of his spirit? And if you remember nothing else tonight, I want to turn to one more verse. If you remember two verses tonight and nothing I said in the middle, remember 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, be you followers of me, even as I am also of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Philippians 4, verse 9 as we close. If you find yourself tonight saying, I don't know how I would do that. Well, thankfully, this one verse will give you the answer. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9 as we close. This is a wonderful passage of Scripture and everybody knows it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice and be careful for nothing and everything uh, in supplication and so on. And the whatevers, whatsoever, whatever things are just, honest, noble, pure. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And the end of it, we all know I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. But the secret to impacting your world when you're following a pattern that's perfect is contained here in Philippians 4 and verse 9. It's just tucked in there. How do you do it? How do you impact your world? Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul said, these do. These do. We've got to do some things to impact the world for Jesus Christ. We need to be in prayer, but we've got to do some things. And what did he say? And the God of peace shall be with you. I pray the God of peace will be with you tonight. I pray the God of peace will be with you as you've got to impact your world. I pray the God of peace will fall upon you over the coming days as you learn some specifics about how to impact your world from a man who I know has impacted the world where he lives. I've been there and I've seen it and I know that they are impacting the world over there in Hamburg. But do you want to impact the world here, Ward End, in Birmingham, wherever you live? I want to impact the world. Then there's a pattern to follow and a plan to do. And we don't follow if we don't do. To know and not to do is not to know. May God bless you. Thank you for your patience tonight. Thank you, Brother Larry, for surrendering your pulpit. I pray you'll impact your word. Would you like me to close in prayer, brother, or would you like to close? Amen.